All right. My name is Ryan Shoemaker. I'm one of the directors of student ministries here at uh, TRCC. And a couple months ago, I had the privilege of introducing God's law in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the Ten Commandments, where we, we looked at and we learned uh, about some of the, the basic elements that, or the fundamentals of a life set apart as God's holy people. And, and in this, this beautiful story of Israel, we see just so clearly how it parallels the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Israel, being held in captivity under Pharaoh, was led out of Egypt by God. God redeemed them from their slavery, and he set them free. Not so they could do things the way that they wanted to do, but he set them free to live a life set apart as God's holy, special people. And the Ten Commandments were, were the, the basic elements of that life set apart as the children of God. And over the last few weeks now, we've been studying, learning, and, and understanding some of the, these finer details of the law. And, and here in chapter 14, we're going to see more of God's instructions for daily living as God's holy people. And we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at dieting, and we're going to look at tithing. I have to admit, I, I was, uh, it was a little daunting accepting the challenge of, of teaching on chapter 14. I, I was just thinking to myself, you mean I'm going to talk 40 minutes about dieting and tithing? And, and as I dove deep into my study, I'm just reminded of, of how all of God's word is inspired and it's rich and it's a, a treasure trove of wisdom. So I'm truly excited to walk through this with you all. Since we're going to be learning a little bit about Jewish law and Jewish culture this morning, I thought it would be fitting to do something a little bit different and learn a little bit of the Hebrew language. We're going to start our passage with what is truly an amazing statement. I think we've, most of us have probably heard this statement before, but I think maybe at times we take it for granted. So I want to learn it in Hebrew to just help us remember this important truth. I'm going to say it once for you, maybe a couple times, and then I want you to repeat it back to me. Bain Yehovah Elohim. Say it one more time. Bain Yehovah Elohim. Now church with me. Bain Yehovah Elohim. That statement means you are the children of the Lord your God. This idea of, of being a child of God is, is truly profound. And to be honest, I, I, I don't even fully comprehend it. But in having my own children, I can somewhat understand. Being a, a, a parent is difficult sometimes. And just this last weekend, my kids were giving me a hard time. They weren't listening. They weren't being obedient. And I, I was just feeling just so frustrated and just reminding that at times parenting is tough. It's not easy. And I, I think we've all had those moments at one time or another. It, it, it's a difficult road, and, and it's filled with trials and frustration and, and tribulation. Yet, through all that, I love my children with all of my being. Without a thought, I would give my life for my kids even with all the difficulty that they present, 
even though they don't deserve it, even though they could never earn that from me. They're just my kids, and therefore, I love them. It's, it's a privilege that they have, not something that they've earned. Isn't that true? That, that, that our kids have certain privileges for no other reason than they are our kids. Maybe we take that for granted today in our relationship with God, that we have all the, the wonderful privileges of being children of God. Children of, of the Holy Most High, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Adopted into his royal family. How cool is that? If you guys could open up your Bibles with me. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 14, starting in verse 1. We'll go through the, the whole chapter. I'll give you guys just a second to get there. We're going to continue looking at... at what it looks like to live this life as a, a child of God set apart as his special possession. Starts out in verse 1. It says, You are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Israel had a, a, a special privilege of being part of the family of God. That's not a privilege to be taken lightly. They were given God's provision. They were given God's favor. They were given God's love. They were given God's blessings. And then the list just goes on and on of these privileges. And we see it so clearly throughout their story as God rescued them from slavery, and delivers them into this promised land. These laws that we're, we're studying, they're, they're God's blueprint for Israel, for living a holy life, set apart as God's special children. And for what purpose? The purpose is this. So when the surrounding nations, these, these pagan cultures, the Canaanites, God designed it so when, when those surrounding nations looked at the children of Israel, that they would see the wisdom, that they would see the goodness, that they would see the, the greatness, the holiness, the righteousness of the one true living God. They were to live set apart to point to God's glory. This idea of living set apart, just to put it real simply, it's, it just means that the, the children of Israel, they're going to live differently differently than the rest of the world. And that living differently would be the markings of God's people. The first law in chapter 14 is, is that Israel was not to cut themselves or shave the front of their hair for the dead. Seems a little strange, right? Well, let me explain. In, in pagan culture, cut the cutting of yourself or the the shaving of the front of your head was actually a, it was actually a sign of, of grieving. And it was part of their rituals and worship of, of their false gods. So God created this law so that Israel would simply not participate in, in those rituals that were dedicated to idols. God's simply saying, I want you to be different than the rest of the world. You worship me and me alone, the one true holy living God. 
And I love what it says. It says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possessions. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Church, it is a privilege to be in the family of God. That we as God's church are chosen by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And it's an honor to, to live a life different, set apart, to bring God glory, to bring God honor, to point to the goodness of the one true God. And look, it even says that he considers us a treasure. How cool is that? Continue on in, in verse 3, read with me. You shall not eat any abomination. These are the animals you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. Every animal that parts the hoof and has the hoof cloven in two and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Yet of those that chew the cud or have the hoof cloven, you shall not eat these, the camel, the hare, and the rock badger, because they chew the cud but do not part the hoof, are unclean for you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and does not chew the cud, is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. So here we see God laying out Israel's diet plan. And the rule for eating land animals was, was really simple. If an animal both chewed its cud and it had a split hoof, then you could eat that animal. If that animal did not have both, it had to have both. If it did not have both, you could not eat it. You guys ever heard that term, chewed the cud, before? I've, I've heard it, but I never really knew what it meant. So in my study, I, I actually looked it up, and it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. So animals that, that chewed their cud would, would first chew it in their mouth like any animal would, but it would swallow it into like a special uh, a, a chamber, like a stomach-like organ, where basically what would happen, the food would, would ferment in that chamber. The, the animals, the enzymes would break that food down partially and ferment the food so that they would more easily be able to extract some of those nutrients from things like grass and hay. So once the, once the, the, the food was fermented in that chamber, here's, here's the real fun part before breakfast, the animal would regurgitate the food back into its own mouth where it would further chew it and then swallow it into its like, main digestive system where it would fully digest. So if you've heard that term but never knew what it meant, there you go. That's what it means to chew the cut. <laughs> Welcome to Deuteronomy chapter 14. Sounds nice before breakfast, right? <laughs> But God's plan was really simple. It just had to, the animal had to have those two criteria met. It had to chew its cud, and it had to have a split hoof. It didn't have those two. They were not allowed to eat it. Pretty simple. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I feel like my diet is anything but set apart. <laughs> I, have a, I have an affinity for double-stuffed Oreos. So <laughs> um, I, I do want us to remember that we're no longer under Jewish food laws. And it's pretty obvious, I think, right? I mean, we serve bacon and sausage for breakfast. I love bacon day, by the way. 
in the book of Mark, chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, I want to read it for you. Jesus himself actually declares all foods to be clean. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled, thus he declared all foods clean. That's Jesus actually declaring all foods to be clean. So what, what foods we eat or don't eat, they, they don't draw us any closer or further from God. What you decide to eat is, is your business. Although it's probably wise that we make good choices. But the, your, 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 what food you eat does not draw you any closer. It's not a form of worship. So you guys can all enjoy your breakfast this morning. I'm not sure what's on the menu. Probably sausage. You guys ever get together for, for dinner and... and you know, you, you, you pray before dinner, and, and it's not uncommon to say, uh, you know, Lord, bless this food to our bodies. Have you guys ever said that during a prayer? I know I have. I think last time I said that, I had a, I had a plate of uh, Del Taco chili cheese fries. Like, Dear Lord, bless this food to my body. <laughs> no, joking aside, though, what food we eat does not draw us any closer or take us further from God. All right, let's, let's keep going. Verse 9. Of all that are in the waters, you may eat these. Whatever has fins and scales, you may eat. And whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. You may eat all clean birds, but these are the ones you shall not eat. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl and the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, and the cormorant, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hoopie, and the bat. All that sounds gross anyways. And all winged insects are unclean for you. They shall not be eaten. All clean winged things you may eat. You shall not eat anything that has died naturally. You may give it to the sojourner who is within your towns that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Get this one. This one's fun. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. That sounds pretty gross. (laughs) Anybody planning on doing that for their Super Bowl party this afternoon? You know, it's interesting. This, this command actually appears uh, uh, three times in the Old Testament, but it's never explained. And I, I looked into it, and scholars actually believe that it, it tied into pagan worship somehow, as a lot of this stuff did. But we don't actually know. It, it's, it's one of those things that's just been lost in kind of the annals of time. So, uh, but it actually appears three times, so apparently it was, it was important. But uh, yeah, no, <laughs> kind of gross. Let's continue. Verse 22. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you, so that you are not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord God chooses to set his name there. 
Then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. So Moses uh, switches, switches gears on us from, from food, and now we're talking about tithing, giving his second set of instructions for, for this life set apart as the children of God. Tithing, just it, it, it means tenth. So the Israelites were, were commanded to give 10% of the increase of their crops to the temple, which would eventually, it hadn't been revealed at this time, but eventually that would be in Jerusalem. And the priests, they didn't receive any land, so God designed the tithe system to support the priests. But there's another reason. I want to draw your attention to verse 23 again. It says, And the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always." The tithe is designed to, to, to teach us to fear the Lord our God. And, and in some translations, this, this, this verse reads, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to put God first in your life. And, and as I read this, I just, I'm affirmed to how God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows our hearts inside out. He knows that we're prone to wander. He knows that we're prone to worship idols, to put things in front of him, to elevate worldly things. So he designs this into his law to help people live the life that they're called to, to help them worship the one true living God, the one that rescued them from slavery. That's what tithing does. It, it, it just helped them to fear the Lord God. God knows our propensity to worship other things. So he says, I blessed you with all this land this promised land that you're about to enter. I rescued you from slavery. I delivered you from Egypt. And I'm sending you to this, to this promised land. I want you to give this back to me. As a reminder that, that God was the one that gave it to them to begin with and to help them put him first. The Israelites would be required to bring their tithes to the temple, which would again later be established in Jerusalem. So God set up a way for people who lived far away from Jerusalem to be able to tithe without having to carry it on this, on this long journey because they were tithing their, their, their goods, their crops. So he set it up so that people who lived far away from Jerusalem didn't have to carry all this, all this stuff with them. You can imagine it would be quite a journey to to carry all that, I mean, obviously they didn't have trucks to, to, to haul it, so it, it would have been very difficult for somebody who lived miles and miles and miles away from Jerusalem to, to haul all this stuff. So God permitted, per, uh, set it up so they could, in, instead of carrying it all with them, they just sold their, their crops, and then they traveled without having to carry it, and then they would buy the, what they needed to, to, for the tithe, near the temple, and then they would take what they bought to the temple, and that would be their tithe. And, and God even allowed them to spend some of this money in, a, in a, this celebration. 
when they traveled to Jerusalem with their tithe, God told them to take part of the money and, and, and use it to buy whatever their appetite craved and eat before the Lord their God in a celebration with their family and friends. You ever thought about tithing like that? That's something that we should celebrate while we do? You guys know tax season is coming up, right? A couple months. I don't know about you guys, but if you're anything like me, paying taxes, just, it just really gets my blood, blood boiling. Sometimes I, I feel like I get my, my property tax bill, I send it in, there's a scowl on my face. Maybe you can relate. But given to God, it's not like paying taxes. Instead, we do it with joy. It's something to be celebrated. God, I give you this tithe because look at, what all, look at all this that you've blessed me with. It's my joy. It's my, my, my privilege to give back to you. It's something that they do in, in celebration and, and rejoicing. Giving online is so cool. It's, it's an awesome thing. It, it, you push a button and it goes. In our hearts, when we, when we give, though, it's, I just want us to remember that we do it with joy. We do it with celebration. It's something that, that we say, God, thank you so much. You've blessed me with all this. I give back to you. We rejoice in our hearts. God has given us great abundance, hasn't he? It's our joy to give back to the Lord. In the New Testament, we aren't required to give any specific amount. Tithe means tenth, but, and maybe 10% is a good place to start. But the New Testament is clear that there's no set benchmark anymore. There's no set detail on, on how much you should give or shouldn't give. But rather it says that whatever we do give, that we give it with the right attitude, that we give it with the right heart. And for some of us, it's, it's, it's going to look different. For some of us, maybe it means we start with a little. For some of us, maybe it starts with a lot more. But whatever you give, you are called to give with the right heart, the right attitude. God loves a cheerful giver. Our attitude shouldn't be, what's the the least amount that we can give so that God will be good? We should long to give whatever we can. And God even promises that we will be blessed. How cool is that? Continuing on in, in verse 28. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow who are within your town shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. We see God caring for his people, creating a system that provided for those in need. The Levites were a tribe of, of Israelites that were, that were called by God to be the priests. So they relied on, on the provision of others for their, for, for their needs. God, God didn't give the Levites any land. And we see God provide for the fatherless, the widows, the sojourners, and, and allow them to take part in this celebration. I just think it's so beautiful how God cares for these different groups. And we see it in Jesus' ministry. Jesus ministers to the, to the sick, to the poor, the broken, the outcasts, the lowly of society. 
I'd like to read out of uh, James 1.27. It won't be up there, but I just want to read it to you. James 1.27, amazing verse. It says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. It's pure and undefiled Christianity right there. I mean, I just think about the, 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 the big church as a whole, the church in America. And we, we put so much emphasis on, on, on how good the music is or how, how edgy the pastor is or, or how good the, 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 the basically a performance. How entertained are we? There's so much emphasis on the service. But look what it says, pure and undefiled Christianity is to visit widows and orphans. And we see that God caring for those in need through his law. We serve a compassionate God. He doesn't leave the broken, the sick, the lowly behind. The children of Israel were were called to be set apart. So when the world saw them, they saw God's goodness. They saw God's wisdom and they saw God's glory. And that's what the law is all about, church. But I want us to understand something. That in the new covenant that, that we are God's chosen people, his church. We are the children of God, Bain, Yehovah, Elohim. Our, our story is, is the same as Israel. Israel is just this beautiful picture of, of what happens in the new, in the new covenant. Israel was, was bound in slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt, held captive, held in chains. You and I are no different before we come to Christ. I love that song that we just sang, alone in my sorrow and dead in my, my sin, lost without hope and no place to begin. That's our condition apart from Christ. We're, we're slaves to our sin. We're dead in our sin. Helpless to save ourselves. But God, rich in mercy, rich in grace, rich in love, he reaches down and, and he, he rescues us from our slavery. And he sets us free to live this set apart as his, his holy church, his special people. And he calls us to live lives that are different than the rest of the world. In the story of Israel, it's God who sets them free from their slavery. It was God who sent the plagues. It was God who softened Pharaoh's heart. It was God that led them out. It was God that parted the Red Seas. It was God that provided sustenance through the wilderness. It was God that led them into the promised land. Our story is the same. Freed us from our change, softened our hearts, parted our Red Seas. And now God is building his church here at the rock and abroad. Working in our lives, sanctifying and perfecting us. God has called us to live as his children, just as he did in Israel. One of my favorite verses out of, out of 1 Peter 2.9 just, just puts it so perfectly. This is Peter writing to the New Testament church. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of that darkness and into his marvelous light. 
There's no book of laws in the New Testament, but when Jesus enters our hearts and our lives, there, there's a transformation that happens where the, the old sinful ways, uh, they're, they're now the enemy. And that when Christ enters our hearts, we, we have this new nature, this new passion, this new longing for holiness, righteousness, and, and godliness. And when we do that, when we live this life that we're called to live set apart, it points to God's glory. It points to God's goodness. It points to God's righteousness. We proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We're called to be different. It's that simple. How we raise our families should be different. How we interact with our friends should be different. Our language should be different. How we work should be different. The media that we consume should be different. Our marriages church, our marriages should look different. Not in a legalistic way, but in a, in a way that just points to God's glory. Christians, are, we need to bear good fruit. And we know that the world's ways, they, they, they lead to death. So as for me and my house, we choose to serve the Lord. I want to close with a few verses out of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Verse 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among you. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, I love this part, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean, unclean thing, then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord of Almighty. Children of God. This this. Paul is, is, is referring to, to different passages from the Old Testament here. And I just love just how beautifully it parallels where we're at in Deuteronomy. This idea of living differently. You're in the midst of them, but be separate. It, it, you may have heard the term that we're in the world, but not of the world. Our lives are called to look different. When people see us, they should see something different in you. When your neighbors, unbelievers alike, at your workplaces, when they look at your life, they should see something different that, sets, that says, what is it about this person? I just see so much. It just, I don't want the church to, to, to look more like the world. And I see church, churches, not our church, but I see churches drifting towards that. We're called to be a people who live different. Our marriages should look different. The way we raise our kids. We don't conform to the world's ways, but we honor Christ in everything that we do. That's what we're called to as a church, and that's how we live a life set apart as God's children. Bain Yehovah Elohim. Would you guys pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of being your children, your sons, your daughters, Adopted into your royal family, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we 
want nothing more than to serve you with everything that we have. Lord, let our lives look different from the rest of this world. Let us pursue holiness. Let us pursue righteousness. Let us pursue godliness and and turn away from the things of the world. We don't want to let those worldly influences into our lives, into our families, our homes. We seek to glorify you and you alone. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.